good to be with all of you this morning. My name is Trevor. Welcome. Welcome to the fourth Sunday in Advent. Advent means coming. It's a word where we anticipate and long for Christ to come. We look forward to that Christmas morning. We can almost see it, right? It's just around the bend when we will celebrate Christmas morning. We will reflect that morning on Christ's coming. And we will uh, anticipate and think about Christ's return and our desire for Christ to come and to make all things right. And so uh, if you're, again, if you already heard this, but if you are not doing anything on Christmas Eve, and there's not a lot of great Christmas Eve traditions out there in the city. Uh, the city gets a little quiet. All the traffic is gone. doesn't take a long time to get here. Uh, if it's not raining, which we don't think it will be, come out and join us on Christmas Eve where we will be celebrating at nighttime the light entering into the darkness. And at the very least, you're going to be able to actually see uh, these lanterns. You're going to get your money's worth out of the lantern view alone uh, because we'll be able to see those in the darkness. Well, if you have a Bible this morning, would you join me in opening to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2 is where we will spend a few minutes of our time this morning. You know, I was reflecting on the number of singing shows that we have in the world. We've got The Voice, we've got American Idol, we've got, uh, we've got America's Next Top Talent, we've got, uh, uh, we've got a, a kind of a plethora of singing shows. Almost every kind of channel has their own version of a singing show. And what's remarkable to me is, the number of people who become famous from those shows seems just incredibly low, right? I mean, I know I can name Kelly Clarkson. Maybe some of you this morning can name one or two more. But there have been hundreds of people who have been winners or got second place or third place or fourth place who, who people for a moment were kind of swept up by who never really became anything great and famous. And yet people continue to audition for these shows, they continue to try out because they all want to be an, the next pop star. They all want to be that next famous person because those famous pop stars, I mean, man, they really, they really do shape our world, don't they? I mean, it was just a couple of years ago that a young teenager named Billie Eilish kind of rose to prominence prominence and then convinced an entire group of, of, of mostly teenage girls that they should start dressing in very big and baggy clothes, right? They influence style and culture. They are famous and, and you can find yourself, you know, almost week by week, you can, you can hear stories of, of who these famous pop stars are in relationship with, what they're wearing, what they're saying, sometimes who they voted for. They become very influential. And our culture is sort of not just obsessed with celebrity, but we love the idea of the teenage pop star. We've had that idea for a long time. The teenager who writes the big song that, that, that moves the audience into seeing the world a little bit differently. And the reason that I have been thinking about sort of especially teenage pop stars is because this morning we're going to spend a few minutes 
with a teenage female songwriter. You probably haven't thought of her that way before, but that is one of the things that is true about Mary, the mother of Jesus, a woman who sings a song in the Bible, a song that you won't find on the pop charts. It won't be making the Billboard Top 100. But the song is a little punk rock. It's a little edgy. And if we reflect on Mary's song, the song that she sings in the Bible, I think we'll discover that it will give us some lessons that we often look for in other songs, but find their true meaning, their true depth and breadth, their reality, the reality we are longing and searching for found in her lyrics. In many ways, Mary's song is the ultimate Christmas song. It is a song that is sung by her when she, you know, not just discovers that she's pregnant, but has had a moment to reflect on her pregnancy. And it's a song that some churches have made a tradition out of singing. You may find in higher church traditions the singing of this song, but I can guarantee you will not hear this song sung at the mall. It will not be on 103.5, and it will not be on your Spotify or iTunes, Apple Music top listening lists this year. Nevertheless, I think it is wise and important and beneficial for us together as a church to reflect on Mary, the mother of Jesus, the teenage girl, and the song that she sings. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Let me just give a little introduction to Mary. Some of you are familiar. Others of you who are not, let me catch you up. Mary is a young Jewish girl. She is a teenager, and she is poor. She's from a nowhere town, a town you wouldn't think much of or be excited about. Uh, maybe you would think about her as being, in our context, she's, Mary's from like Rancho Cucamonga, right? Like it's sort of an out there town that you know about, but maybe you've never met anybody who actually lives there. Mary's again young, she's poor, she's Jewish. She is living under Roman rule. She is highly taxed and she is betrothed, which is kind of like engaged to a young, uh, a young man named Joseph, and Mary is preparing for her wedding day. There's a lot in Mary's life that is difficult, and in the middle of this moment, Mary finds out that she's pregnant. Before Mary sings, she is, she is met by an angel, and in Luke chapter 2, verse 30 through 33, it says this, that the angel says to Mary, Mary, do not be afraid. For Mary, you have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, finding out that you're pregnant is always a surprise. Even if you are kind of hoping, kind of thinking, kind of wishing, or maybe you're hoping you're not or wishing you're not, there's always that moment that many women get to experience where the test comes back positive. For some of us, that moment has been heartbreaking, reflecting on the times it has come back 
negative. I can assure you that Mary in this moment is not primarily desiring to be pregnant. She is quite surprised. It is surprising to find out that you're pregnant. It is especially surprising if you are a virgin. You can only imagine what might be going through Mary's head, a teenager, betrothed to be married, discovering that she's pregnant. She even responds as much. In verse 34, Mary says, how can it be to the angel? How can it be that I'm pregnant? I'm a virgin. I can't be pregnant. That, that this can't be possible. Not only is it surprising if you find out that you're pregnant, if you're a virgin, it's also surprising if you find out you're pregnant by way of angel. That's not how most people find out that they're pregnant, by way of angel. Nevertheless, it is how Mary finds out. So she is surprised, to say the least. And Mary's pregnancy, to remind you, will come with all kinds of challenges. Mary's fiancé will begin to think about how to divorce her quietly. Her friends and community will make fun of her. Imagine how Mary will experiencing, how she will experience being a pariah. She'll feel like an outsider. Mary, are, are you pregnant? Wait, Mary, aren't you engaged? Is Joseph the father? Because if so, that's a problem. But if Joseph's not the father, that's also a problem. Mary, who is the father? Mary is going to experience all kinds of pressure. Ask any teenager, any teenage girl, about whether or not the pressure to fit in is real. It is. So what does Mary do when she experiences all of this? Well, Mary heads to her cousin's house, her much, much much older cousin. Mary's cousin is so old that it would be shocking for Mary's cousin to be pregnant. But Mary's cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. Pregnant with John the Baptist, who we've spent the last two weeks looking at. It's going to take Mary a little while to get there. As she gets to her cousin's house, she arrives. And Elizabeth, her cousin, in the midst of all of Mary's confusion, feeling all kinds of pressure, Elizabeth welcomes Mary with joy. And she says, Mary, 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 the baby that's in your womb, that baby, Elizabeth says, is my Lord. Don't you see, Mary, you're blessed, blessed because God has chosen you. Blessed because God dwells in you. Blessed because you believe in God. And Mary then, after hearing from her cousin Elizabeth, sings a song. Mary's song is called the Magnificat. That's the word for the very first word in the song in Latin. It's uh, the Latin, Latin word for the first two words in the Magnificat. And Mary's song is filled with theology. 
You can tell that Mary knows her scriptures well. She's a young girl who is theologically trained. She spent a lot of time in the Bible. Mary's got God's word dwelling within her. So when it comes time for Mary to express herself, she does so in a language that's very familiar to her. She begins to cry out and just her song is just filled with theology. And this is Mary's song in Luke chapter 2. Verses 46 through 55, this is what Mary sings. Verse, starting at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Well, Mary's song doesn't rhyme much the way that our modern pop songs do. It doesn't exactly, it doesn't exactly have an obvious beat to it. But it's a beautiful song filled with scripture, filled with references from the Old Testament. A song that in many ways is very similar to Hannah's song. If you're familiar with the Old Testament passage, Hannah is the mother of Samuel who also sings this wonderful song about her own future of having Samuel as a son. And Mary's song is not the kind of angsty, teenage, depressed kind of song that maybe we would write. Maybe the song that we would write would be something like, God, why have you done this? Why are you making me stand out? Why have you made my life complicated? Why are things so difficult? That's a song we might be tempted to write. Mary's song is entirely different. It's a song of revolution. Revolution for Mary. Revolution for the whole world. Revolution for us. That's how I'm going to spend the next few minutes. I want to talk about how Mary's song highlights a revolution for Mary. How it represents a revolution for the whole world. And how it represents a revolution for us here this morning. Now by revolution I mean a dramatic and wide reaching change in the way that we see God and ourselves and really everything. So revolution for Mary, revolution for the world and revolution for us. First, revolution for Mary. In verses 46 through 49, Mary begins to sing about her own uh, experience of having been chosen and blessed by God in the midst of her circumstances. Remember, Mary is a teenager. She's from nowhere. She's poor. She's not yet married. She's under Roman rule. She's under the rule of Herod. And Mary begins to sing... Mary has all kinds of reasons, I hope you would see this, all kinds of reasons to look at her circumstances and to be frustrated. 
Mary has the tendency, the temptation, to look at the ways in which people will talk about her, to look at her poverty, to look at her struggle, to look at the challenges that face her and be frustrated. But what does Mary do? Mary rejoices. She glorifies the Lord, right? Mary begins the song by magnifying God. Mary, Mary, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul makes God bigger. It's almost like Mary, the closer Mary gets to seeing God, the bigger he becomes in her presence. Mary doesn't actually make God bigger, but it is often true like that with God, right? That in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of the things that we face, as we get closer to God, if we keep our eyes on God, God somehow gets bigger. This is one of the things that C.S. Lewis writes about Aslan in, the, in the, uh, the wardrobes here, the Chronicles of Narnia series, right? That the closer you get to Aslan, the bigger he becomes. Mary begins by saying that this moment has caused her to see God as so much bigger than maybe she otherwise would have. He has her complete and undivided attention in the midst of the storm. He is the one that she is looking at. He is the one that she is hearing from. Because she knows that the baby inside of her is going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the one through whom God would save the whole world, her included. What must that be like? What must the pressure have felt like to know that you are responsible for carrying the, the baby who is ultimately going to be your savior? I wonder if Mary had all of the kinds of cautions that we have today. Right? Don't eat lunch meat. Don't eat this kind of fish. No drinking of any kind. Make sure you do this and don't do that. No nitrates. No, right? There's a whole list of things we're supposed to do and not do in order to make sure that our baby is healthy. Mary is given the task of bringing to term the one who is going to be the Messiah, the one who is going to save the whole world. And for Mary, this moment of God blessing her with this gift and opportunity, which is not going to make Mary's life easy necessarily by any means, is a reminder that God always keeps his promises. That God saw her in her lowly state. That, that Mary may have felt like, I'm poor, I'm from nowhere, this is going to complicate my life. I'm a, a woman in a society that does not think particularly highly of women. That when Mary felt unseen, in this moment she recognizes that even though she has felt unseen and maybe in many ways unsupported and unappreciated, that the God who made everything sees her. Do, do you know that for you this morning? That when no one else sees you, God still sees you. Mary, Mary even says, she talks about her lowly state. And she, she is rejoicing in God because God has seen her. And not just sees her, but the work that God is doing in her has eternal significance. 
Mary might feel like a no one, but I love this lyric of her song where she's, she recognizes, I might feel like a no one, but the work that God is doing in me is work that God is going to be doing eternally. People are going to remember me and they're going to remember this story forever. Friends, I hope that you know that any work that you do for God in partnership with God doesn't just last temporarily, but it has eternal significance. Do you see that Mary, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of conflict, in a, when Mary might be looking around struggling to fit in, Mary sees that she is part of the story of what God is doing in the world. That God sees her and has blessed her. Do you ever struggle to fit in? Do you ever feel confused about the meaning of what it is that you put your hands to? Do you ever wonder if what you are going through ever really matters? <clears throat> Mary proclaims that it does. That your faithfulness has eternal significance. Mary believes and trusts in God's promises. Let me ask you this morning, where do you look when you feel as though the world is against you? Where do you look for comfort? Where do you look for hope? Where do you look for joy? We often look to others to give us validation. We look to the comforts that the world provides. Mary, in the midst of difficulty, looks at God, the Mighty One, who is doing great things. You know what I love about Mary is that when the angel comes to her, the angel doesn't say, Mary, you're blessed, therefore you're not going to be poor anymore. Mary, you're blessed, and therefore the Romans are going to be overthrown. Mary, you're blessed, and therefore your life is about to be easy. Mary, you're blessed. Everyone that doesn't like you is going to start liking you. Mary, you're blessed. All of a sudden, you're, everything's going to be wonderful for you. No, Mary is still poor. She's still a woman. She's still under Roman oppression. She's still yet to be married. But Mary rejoices, not because all of her circumstances are right. She rejoices because she is able to trust what God is doing in the midst of her circumstances. Friends, brothers, sisters... Joy is not available to you on the other side of difficulty. Joy can be found in the midst of difficulty if you know to look in the right place. If you look at the promises of God. Some of you are here this morning and you are in the middle of a storm and you're convinced, hey, I can't have any joy until, and you've got some things on your list. Hey, I can't have joy until healing happens. I can't have joy until I get hired here. I can't have joy until I'm in this relationship. I can't have joy until I have this thing. I can't have joy until the present I want is under that tree. Some of us are here, and here's what we believe. Because every advertisement on television is happy to tell us this. You can have joy when your circumstances change. But if we look at Mary, what she's able to see is that God always keeps his promises. 
and because God, her, her joy can be found in God's promises, not her circumstances. Which means that Mary will be able, because she knows that she has God in her, she'll be able to face anything knowing that God is in her. Imagine what would happen if you knew that God was in you. Imagine what would happen. How would you live in the world if you knew that God was in you the way that Mary knew that God was in her? I think it would cause many of us to learn how to sing songs in the midst of the storm. That old song, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. That song, It Is Well With My Soul, is a song about finding peace and joy in God when everything doesn't seem so great. But this revolution doesn't change everything for Mary. This song isn't just about her. She also sees what God is doing in establishing his kingdom. And when that kingdom comes, it comes with weighty change, not just for Mary, but for the whole world. In verses 50 through 55, look at what Mary says next. She begins to sing about what God is doing, and she declares that there is blessing, blessing for all. But those blessings are sort of connected to the truths about who God is. She declares who is blessed first by saying that there is mercy to those who fear. Mercy to those who fear. Now, in the Bible, being fearful of God is not the same thing as being afraid of God, as in experiencing terror. No, in the Bible, is that me? Yeah. Uh, in the Bible, uh, being a, being, having fear of God means revering who God is. It means being full of awe and reverence. The author John Updike said that our brains today aren't conditioned for awe and reverence. And sometimes I think that that's true. One of the things that's so funny to me in the midst of the Christmas season is to watch all of these celebrities sing Christmas songs and not really mean any of the words they're singing. Do you ever notice that? Like even my favorites. Like I love, you know, Michael Bublé, right? I love like... The, the old kind of crooners. I love the old sentimental Christmas songs that are on. And sometimes on TV you'll sing these people sing these songs, but you can tell that they sing the words because the words are familiar, but the truth that's hidden in the words is far from them. Christmas is an odd season because when you're listening to Christmas music, you will actually hear songs about reverence and awe for God. But you won't hear that the other 11 months out of the year. Because we don't typically have awe and reverence for God. But Mary says that mercy comes to those who their posture before God is that they look at God and they see God as majestic, as wonderful, as awesome, as holy. They see the holiness of God, which then causes them to see their need for God. Mary understands the blessings of God don't come universally just to everyone facing difficulty, but to those who look for God in the midst of their frustrations, those who look for God and for his care, those who know they need mercy. Mercy. For mercy to be mercy 
we have to start with the understanding that we don't deserve mercy. If you are here this morning, maybe the idea of thinking about God as merciful is difficult for you. Because maybe you see your life as difficult and therefore your posture before God is, hey, God owes me this. God owes me that. God owes me the life that I'm pursuing and wanting. Oh, if only God would give us eyes to see that so many of the challenges we face are a result of our own selfishness. So many of the fights that we get into are the results of our own selfishness. So many of the things that go wrong in our lives are a result of us pursuing our own selfishness. And God will give us over to our selfishness. But some of us who have ears to hear and eyes to see, will look around and we will declare, I need something more than more of myself. I need God. I need his forgiveness. I need his care. I need his blessing. I need his mercy. If you know that you need mercy, if you're here this morning and you know that you need God's mercy, Mary's song declares that God offers it to you today. But Mary also says that God lifts up the humble and scatters the proud. Now the, the humble are, are, are the people who are uh, not just self-effacing and modest. The humble in the Bible are all, often always the people who have a lot to be modest about. The people who live in difficult circumstances. Those who are on the streets. Those who are oppressed. Those who are struggling. Those who have nothing those the world thinks need to be quiet, needs to be hidden, the people that we might be embarrassed about. Mary feels like she's one of those people. And yet she says, look at me, look at me, and look at how God is meeting me. Even though I am only a humble servant, God is here for me. He has not failed to notice me. And the baby inside of Mary will grow into becoming a man who will go out of his way to find the oppressed and the marginalized. Remember the sinful woman who anointed Jesus at the Pharisee's house? When no one saw her, Jesus saw her. Remember the untouchable leper that nobody wanted to engage with but only wanted to avoid? Jesus would touch him. Remember the man possessed by a demon whose life wasn't quite worth as much as the pigs? Jesus would show up and deliver and bless him. Jesus sees those who feel unseen. Jesus comes to those who are humble. If you're here this morning and you maybe feel unseen unnoticed, you may feel all alone. This season is certainly a lonely season. Many of us hate the Christmas season because it's a season that only reminds us how alone we feel, how unseen we are. Mary's song reminds us that we are seen by God and that God longs to lift up us, those who are in our humble state, and God scatters the proud. God scatters the proud. Sometimes we like the idea that God wants to lift up the humble, but notice that here, salvation of the humble, 
mercy involves a kind of judgment towards others. Salvation implies judgment. Central to the idea or theme in the Bible of God's justice is the righting of wrongs and the proclamation that God will expose injustice. All of those who have ruled without recognizing their supreme leader should tremble underneath God's power. God is coming, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, which is really good news for those of us who need God. But God's coming is a threat to those of us who say we do not need him. Those who are willing to use the gifts he's given us, the life he's given us, the things he's given us for our own purposes and ends apart from any knowledge of him. You know, I saw this interesting story about something that has happened in the last few years in Nigeria that connects to abuse of power. This is sort of a very strange thing. Nigeria, over the last five years, have had some stories that have broken loose where political leaders have gotten access to large sums of money. And then that money has disappeared. And when asked what happened to the money, there have been a few different cases in Nigeria where leaders have blamed animals. This is totally true. In Nigerian newspapers, you can find stories of monkeys stealing a million dollars. You can find pythons eating $500,000. You can find stories where politicians go, I mean, I don't know what happened to the money. It was in here, and then some monkeys came in, or some, some birds came in and just flew off with the money. We don't know how they're going to spend it. We don't know where it went. It's just gone. And people hear those stories and get rightfully upset and angry about the kinds of corruption that happens when those who have power, those who have gifts, misuse their power. Well, make no mistake, God also gets angry at those who lift themselves up. God also gets angry at those who misuse their power. God promises, Mary sings about how God will bring down the unjust. Mary also sings about how the hungry will be filled, but the rich will be sent away. Remember the grumbling people in the desert? When Israel was in the desert, God gave them food. He provided. He said, here, eat. Mary, in singing this song, would have remembered all the ways that God in the past had fulfilled his promises. But she did not know that inside of her, she had a son who was going to go on to feed 5,000 people in the desert. She didn't know. She didn't know that Jesus was going to show up and that Jesus was going to say to the whole world, if you are hungry, come to me and I will give you the bread of life. The bread I want to give you is bread that will satisfy you forever. Come to me, those of you who are thirsty, and I will give you living water, and you will never be thirsty again. If you are hungry, if you are thirsty, you can find what you're looking for in Jesus, the Son in Mary's belly, but only if you're hungry for the right things. If you're hungry for fame and for fortune, you'll never be satisfied. But if you hunger and thirst for forgiveness and righteousness, you will be fed. We live in Los Angeles, 
Well, most of us do. Some of us are visiting. But Los Angeles is one of the most empty and hungry cities in the whole world. Do you notice the lengths that people go to to try to satisfy themselves? Do you know the ways that people look to try to feel a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment, the way they try to deal with their hunger? I pray that we would know our hunger and that we would know the God who satisfies our hunger. Mary is singing about the goodness of God. The God who is merciful to all who cry out to him, who see their need for him. D.L. Moody once said, God sends no one away empty except those who are already full of themselves. I think that that's true. I hope and pray that God would make clear your need for him this season and that in him you would find the satisfaction that you're looking for. Lastly, revolution for us. Revolution for us. It is inescapable that Mary's song inquires of us. It asks us all kinds of questions. Are we hungry? Are you hungry this morning? Are you humble? Do you have fear and reverence for God? Do you rely on him? Mary's song questions you like all good songs do. They make you think deeper and, and, and more seriously about where you're at, what you think, what you're relying on, what you're looking towards. Let me ask you this morning, are you here this morning relying on your wealth, relying on your status, or are you going to rely on Jesus? Are you here this morning? Is your joy, your love, your peace, is your hope, is it contingent on your circumstances? Is it contingent on your, the opinions of others? Is it, a, is it contingent on even what you think of yourself? Or what God says is true? Let me ask you this morning, what are you trusting in? The Bible says that you must trust in Christ. Now some of us will say, hold on. I, I don't need to trust in Christ. I'm a good person. I give money to charity. I'm not like Scrooge. I don't buy humbug. I give a little extra. I brought, maybe I brought some cereal this morning. I keep the Ten Commandments. I'm a good person. Trust me, Pastor Trevor. I know some wicked people. I'm not like them. I'm good. I'm good with God. And the way I know that I'm good with God is because I've done enough good things. The Bible says that is Never how we can be right before God. Some others of us will go, okay, no, no, of course not. Of course it's not based on goodness. It's based on my religiosity. I, uh, I, I, I come to church every week. Some people, they only come twice a month. I come every week. I, even, I come when it's 80 degrees and when it's 58 degrees. I'm faithful. I pray regularly. I've been baptized I, I, don't, I don't need salvation. Look at all the things that I do. I'm, I'm right with, before God because of all of my religious behaviors. Mary's song reminds us that the only way to be right before God is by trusting in the Son in her and in His mercy. Mary understood that there is a way 
to be right before God and to rejoice in Him. And it's in and through her Son, the one who would come and declare, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The one who would be named Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he would come to save his people from their sins. Do we have ears to hear Mary's song this morning? Do we have faith to trust in God and in the midst of this season? Will we rejoice in Him? Or will we only rejoice when our circumstances are right? Will we rejoice in Him? Or will we only rejoice when our accomplishments feel sufficient to us? May we rejoice in Him. May we hunger and thirst for God this season. May we not hunger and thirst for anything else that we may get confused or lied to about as satisfying when what you were made for is peace with God. And God offers that to us in and through his son this morning. Mary's song brings revolution. That we would look to God for joy, not our circumstances. That we would look to God for restoration and justice, not just our present moment. That we would look to God for salvation, not just our good works. Sometimes it feels like in the Christmas season, it's the most difficult season to keep our eyes on God. Mary can endure a great amount because she's looking in the right place. It's my hope that we would do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a teenage girl sings a song that just is filled with power. A song that has the power to convict us, the power to proclaim salvation and justice and mercy. The song that has the power to give us the joy in the midst of our difficult seasons. God, I pray that we would have ears to hear this song. God, I pray that we would reflect on this song. God, I think of all of the teenagers who, who back in the day would put up posters in their bedrooms of pop stars for the songs they wrote. Or maybe today it's stickers on their water bottles. And I kind of long for the day when we would put one up of Mary as a great songwriter whose song causes us to focus on the awe and glory of you in the midst of difficult seasons. Lord, I pray that we would hear the song, we would be shaped by the song, that this song of revolution would cause us to experience your grace and mercy and cause us to be a people, a people who practice our faith, a people who, who work towards justice, a people who put all of our hope all of our joy, not in our circumstances, not in what other people say about us, but in you. That people would look at us and our lives and say, those people, they smell like heaven. Because that's where we get our hope, our joy, our peace, and our love. From your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen.